Well, once again, good morning, church family. How's everybody doing? It's good to see you this morning. Fun adventures this morning. Um, And it's a thrill to be with you and a thrill to open God's word as always. Uh, So here's where we're going to start, though, is with some pictures up, uh, up above here behind me. The light bulb. <laughs> There's a what? What about it? Think about before the light bulb and after the light bulb. This changes everything, doesn't it? The light bulb changed everything. Think of what things would have been like before light bulb, electricity, that kind of thing, and, and everything different since the invention of it. What about the printing press? The printing press changed everything. Information that was only available to the rich, books that were only available to the rich, now being printed and distributed more widely. Information available more widely. Education available more widely. This changed everything. What about uh, a personal favorite? The refrigerator. Are we glad for the fact that a refrigerator changed everything? That that food um, storage and... and, uh, and uh, has obviously greatly improved in our ability to distribute food and to keep it uh, healthier and safer for longer. The refrigerator changed everything. For those of you that are farmers and know way more about this than me, what about the plow? Think pre-plow and post-plow. Pre-plow, you've got hunters and gatherers and, and really just subsistence farming, just trying to do just enough to live to get by on. And with the invention of a plow, this changed everything, our ability to grow food in, in bigger amounts uh, and, and over time and things like that and, and feed larger amounts of people. Uh, and then, of course, you've got maybe, maybe got one in your pocket or in your purse, the smartphone. This changed everything, didn't it? Computers that used to take up an entire room, now in the palm of your hand, and our communication revolutionized before phones, after phones, before smartphones, after smartphones. We, none, none of us, we almost never say, I don't know anymore. When you come to a conversation in a fact that no one, you just Google it. Right? No one needs to say, I don't know. This changed everything. And these are, these are fun to think about. And perhaps you've thought about some of those before and how they changed everything. Um, but you won't be surprised. You already know, you already guessed where I'm going with this is that in our new series, as we teach the next 10 weeks, today and nine more weeks through, the, through a book in your Bible called Galatians, what we're saying is, is the gospel changes everything. The good news of Jesus changes everything. And in some ways that's gonna be old hat. You might go, yeah, yeah, I got that. And I'm gonna say, no, no, let's think about it some more this morning. The gospel changes everything. The good news of Jesus changes everything. And we're going to be saying throughout this series, I think, that the impact of the gospel, the impact of the good news of Jesus on your life, let's consider it, is it, is the impact of the gospel in your life only past tense? Or does it continue? Does the gospel have implications for your today and your future? So let's ask God to talk to us about how the gospel changes everything. Grab your Bible, if you would. Open to Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Hope you bring your Bibles with you to Faith Church, where we study God's word and we ask God to teach us through his word. You can have a paper Bible. Those are awesome, like the one I'm holding. You can have your favorite Bible app. That's awesome. If you're looking for a good Bible app and you want to 
um, be able to learn how to read through the Bible and have a plan for reading through the Bible. I like uh, an app called The Bible by You Version. That helps me to read the Bible in a systematic way. By the way, you want to talk about something that changes everything? Followers of Jesus who read their Bible regularly, committedly, asking God to speak to them and change them. This changes everything. So bring your Bibles on Sundays and get them out Monday through Saturday as well. That would be my, my, my uh, exhortation to you. All right, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Let me pray first before we jump in. God, as always, we put ourselves at your feet to hear from you this morning through your word. And God, I pray that the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. God, we need you. We thank you for being with us. We thank you that your spirit um, is with us, helping us to hear from you, helping us to understand what we learn. And God, would this not just be an academic exercise of study this morning, but a, a heart transformation process. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians 1, verse 1, follow along with me. Paul, an apostle, this is the author of this letter. Paul, an apostle, a sent one, a missionary, a leader of the church. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Paul starts off his letter by explaining why he has authority why he is a sent one, why he speaks the words of God, because he is not from man, but from God. And so he continues that Paul, an apostle, verse two, and all the brothers who are with me were writing to you, to the churches of Galatia, to these followers of Jesus in churches in a region called Galatia. Verse three, grace to you. There's that word that Pastor Matt reminded of us, us of a few minutes ago. God's grace, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, verse four, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Let's say that again. Say, say it with me, uh, forever and ever, amen. Amen. To the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. So as we started there in God's word, and we got to verse four, and verse four tells us that Jesus gave himself for our sins. Jesus willingly died. Jesus willingly sacrificed. Jesus gave himself for the forgiveness of our sin to make us right between, to make things right between sinful us and a holy and perfect God. Jesus, it says there, gave himself for our sins. And then what does it say? To, to do what? To rescue, to what some of your other Bibles say? Deliver. To deliver, to rescue. Okay, so if Jesus gave himself to deliver you, to rescue you and me, what does that imply? 
That implies that we need rescue. Jesus gave himself to deliver, to rescue, and that implies that we need rescue. And the fact that we need rescue, what does that imply? Sinners, yes, what else? What does it seem to imply if you need to be rescued? You're helpless, you're endangered. Yeah, we're dead in our sins. Jesus gave himself for our sins and to deliver, to rescue, because we are in danger, because we are drowning, because we are helpless, because things are hopeless apart from him, because we are in trouble. But I think, I think sometimes we think too many of us are okay, kind of feel okay. I got this. My life's all right. I can handle things the way things are coming at me. I think too many of us sometimes feel okay, that things are fine, that I can handle life. I mean, after all, we live in the Willamette Valley. Some of us have ancestors who traveled here on the Oregon Trail. One out of 10 of them died. I can do this. I got this. Leave me alone. I'm strong enough. I can get through. I have what it takes. I'm doing just fine by myself. But are we really? Are we really? Am I really doing okay by myself? What do we experience in this world, on the earth, this side of eternity? What do we experience as we look around ourselves? Sickness and disease and pain and suffering and trial and pressures in our work and stresses at school and relational dysfunction, pain between people we love, friends, family members. Things are broken. Are we really doing just fine on our own? Can we really just handle it? Do we really just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps? We live in a world that is broken as a result of the entrance of sin into the world. We live in a fallen, broken world, and that includes that sin has had its effect on us human beings. The entrance of sin into the world has wrecked things for us too. We are broken people. Is it just me or do we hurt other people? Do we go against God? Do we think only of ourselves? Do we choose wrong? And do we hide in shame? Are we really doing okay on our own? Uh, Faith Church exists to help us realize this so we can proclaim Jesus. Faith Church exists to help us realize that we can't save ourselves. And friends, this morning, if there's, I would love for you to hear this. As you come here this morning, it is okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. When you gather together with your church family, and when you gather together during the week, and when you care for one another, and when you pray for one another, it's okay to not be okay. We need rescue. We need grace. And that's why all those inventions that changed the world were really cool, but way better is the gospel of grace that changes everything. God's grace changes everything. Verse four said it. Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us. 
And this is what, now on the screen, you'll see what we always, how we often define the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners, that a holy and perfect God doesn't leave sinful and broken and fallen you and me just in despair on our own, but that the good news of Jesus is that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen? That's good news. And does that good news change everything? It needs to. It needs to. And God, and God is at work so that it will. This changes everything. How does that change everything? I think we often think of the good news of Jesus and we often think that of this part of the good news, that it gives us freedom from the penalty of our sin. We sin, we're in trouble, God needs to punish sin, so he took care of the penalty of sin because Jesus died for us. We've got that part. True and gloriously good news that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the good news gives us freedom from the penalty of sin. But get this, there's more. The gospel changes everything. And so not only are we free from the penalty of sin, but as we follow Jesus, we are free from the power of sin. It doesn't mean that we're without sin. It doesn't mean that as we follow Jesus, we won't sin anymore, but power has no Sin has no power over us anymore. God, by his spirit living within us, has given given us the power and the ability to overcome our sin. Yes, we will go astray. Yes, we will go against God. Yes, we will fall into temptation. But we are not enslaved. We are not under the power of sin because of Jesus, because of new life through him. And get this, there's more. The gospel changes everything, past, present, and future. We've been free, we are freed from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and when Jesus returns or when we go home to meet him and we look him in the eye, we will have freedom from the very presence of sin. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. The gospel changes everything. And that's why we exist, Faith Church, to make sure that the gospel changes us and that as we have good news to share, we, help, we ask God to have his good news of Jesus change Dallas and Oregon and, and our great country and to the ends of the earth. The gospel changes everything. Now, when I start sermons, when I come up to preach God's word some Sundays, it often maybe looks like this. Hey, good morning, church family. Play along. Hey, good to see everybody. How you doing? Yeah, it's great to be with you. I love you all. I'm excited for this morning. Uh, Man, uh, I'm looking forward to teaching God's word. Does this sound familiar? Is this often how I I, I greet us and, and get up here? Okay. What if this was my sermon intro instead? What are you doing? I can't believe you guys. You're blowing it. I can't even, I don't even like pretending that. How are you guys feeling? Woo. Why did I do that? In many ways, 
the beginning of this letter from Paul to the churches in Galatia, and by the way, this letter to us today, Faith Church 2018, God's word is living and active. It was written to a church a long time ago, but it's written to us. In many ways, the beginning of this letter is similar to that. If you have studied your Bible or if you have a chance in the future or here's some homework for those of you that like extra credit, okay, jot this down. 1 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, you can go check those out later. You're not going to get any extra credit, by the way. It just sounded good. Go look those up, 1 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians. Look at the beginnings of those letters. Look how Paul often starts his letters. And what you'll find is Paul often starts his letter with this greeting and with some good gospel truth. And then it proceeds to this prayer of thanksgiving. I love you. I'm so thankful for you, churches. You you, you have been serving me. You've been serving Jesus. You've been so generous to me. I'm so thankful for what God is doing in your life. Now the beginning to Galatians. Paul, an apostle, let me tell you some good news about Jesus, and then only six verses in, here we go. I am astonished. I'm reading the Bible now, I'm not pretending. Back in, fingers back in the text, Galatians 1 verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some of you There are some who would trouble you and want to distort the good news of Jesus. But even if we, Paul, my friends, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary, different to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Whoa, Paul, good morning to you too. We usually like your letters. What's Paul so riled up about? This letter, uh, this letter addresses a social and racial division in the churches uh, that he was writing to. And here's the story behind this social and racial division. The first Christians in Jerusalem uh, many, of, many of or all of the first Christians in Jerusalem were also Jewish. And so by their heritage, they were Jewish. And now they receive the good news of Jesus. They realize that salvation is by faith in Christ. They've become Christians. They've been transformed. But by heritage, they are Jewish. And so they continued doing Jewish things, which would make sense. But what was happening at the time was as the good news of Jesus spread beyond just God's people, the Jews, now the good news of Jesus is starting to spread out from Jerusalem and more and more people are hearing what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. And by the way, anytime you hear of the gospel spreading from God's people, the Jews, to Gentiles or non-Jews, this is spectacular news because most of us in this room are non-Jews. So the gospel is for all people. The gospel is for all people everywhere. And as the gospel spread, these non-Jewish believers in Jesus were being told something wrong, were being taught something wrong. They, 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 the gospel had spread, they had become followers of Jesus, and now, as the passage you just read says, there are some 
among you who want to distort the gospel, who want to trouble you. Well, what were they doing? These false teachers were insisting that these non-Jewish Christians still have to act Jewish. You still need to do all the stuff. See, Jewish, see, Old Testament of your Bible, the first was full of, of laws for, the, for God's people. Laws about what to eat and what not to eat. And uh, laws that, that God's people were to be circumcised. And so back then, God's people on the eighth day would be circumcised. And this was to be a sign that they were set apart, that they were God's people. And so there was all these rules and regulations and traditions and ceremonies related to being Jewish. And so when the Jewish people became followers of Jesus, this is awesome and exciting. They've now received their salvation because of God's grace through Jesus. But they're still Jewish, and so they do Jewish ceremonial traditions and, and, and abide by some of those rules as they can and should. But now you've got teachers saying to the non-Jewish Christians, you guys need to do all that stuff too. Follow the dietary rules. Get circumcised. Follow these laws. Do these ceremonies. Be Jewish. Act Jewish. If you want a full, if you want a Truly please God, you'll follow Jesus and do these things. If you want to truly be accepted by God, if you want to be a real Christian, you'll follow Jesus and do these things. And I think, and it's hard for us at first to relate to those requirements, right? We haven't lived under Old Testament law. Most of us haven't tried to live by those dietary restrictions. We haven't thought of these ceremonies and traditions as required for us. So a lot of us don't uh, relate to these requirements. But here's the bottom line. Here's what Paul is teaching here. That, that, it, that anyone who insists or teaches that, that God's love is Jesus plus something is wrong. Anyone who insists that, that, that true acceptance by God, that our salvation, that God's love is somehow conditional, it's got to be Jesus plus something, plus be a good person, plus behave, plus follow these laws, plus wear this uniform, is, that's a, that teaching is a rejection of the good news of Jesus. Because our salvation, because being accepted by God, being made right with God, is through Jesus alone. When it comes to our salvation, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, he did not say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and you should read your Bible every day. And you are not a true Christian unless you do such and such, or follow this rule, or go to this place. Jesus said, follow me. Jesus just said, Follow me. He didn't say, follow me and do this religious checklist. I'm a good person. I go to church. I read my Bible. I try not to sin. I go to faith church. I prefer the 1045 a.m. service. I... It's not Jesus plus something. Here's another way Here's another way for us to think about the good news, and I want us to read this aloud together. Let's go for it. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Hold up. I thought I was having you read good news. Did you read that first part? But man, you know what? 
the reality of some tough news makes the gospel great news. Good news comes because there's bad news first. So read this with me again. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Yes! Did you hear that? Yes! The gospel changes everything. God's grace changes everything. And like I said, great news comes. Great news is really great news when we first wrestle with the difficult. Does that make sense? If we wrestle with the pain, if we wrestle with where we are, then the good news is going to be great news. With me on that? Okay, so, so the rest of our time here as we study God's word, there's, there's some hard to hear stuff here. But the gospel changes everything. So now, play along. Derek's a dork. When I say the rest of the morning, when I say the gospel changes everything, grin as big as you can grin. Can, we, can you help me with that? Because I'm going to teach some hard truths about where we are apart from Jesus, where we are when we live on our own strength, and it's kind of hard to hear, but my heart is that we will remember that the, that the gospel of grace changes everything. That was, that was pretty good. I'll give you some more chances. Because if, if, we, if, we, if we realize that, that as we wrestle with this stuff, there's good news coming. Not only is the good news, um, not only is the gospel good news for legalists, the legalists are the ones that are trying to add stuff. Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that, Jesus plus be like me, Jesus plus you should do this, Jesus plus follow this rule. That's legalism. Not only is the gospel good news for legalists, the good news is also for prodigals. Followers of Jesus who, who have gone astray, who have forgotten of God's grace, who, have, who are, 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 yeah, prodigal. <laughs> but here's why I say this. Who was Galatians written to? Christians. I think it's easier for us to think, man, oh, Paul, what? Paul was mad. Hey, you guys are not following, you're not doing the gospel. You've gone, you've lost your way. You know, Paul wrote verse six, we read it, right? We thought, man, whoa, what's Paul riled up about? It would be easier for us to think about that if he was talking to non-Christians, people that don't know Jesus, people that need the gospel, people that need to be rescued for the first time. He's not. He's writing the letter to people who have already been rescued by Jesus. And he's saying, you've gone the wrong way. You're believing a different gospel. So the good news of Jesus is for prodigals too, for us to come home. The gospel isn't just for when we start following Jesus. The gospel has implications for all of life. The gospel continues to change us and work in us. We don't graduate from the gospel. We, don't, we, don't, we aren't saved by Jesus, by the good news of Jesus, and then as a Christian we go, okay, I've had enough of the gospel. The gospel has continuing implications in our lives. And so as we study through this, as we teach God's word and we study Galatians, we're also on Sunday mornings going to be thinking a little bit about some concepts from a book by Jeff Vanderstelt called Gospel Fluency. 
And I have found this to be a really helpful book. Uh, Some of you are reading it. Uh, We're going to discuss it just in bite-sized pieces as you join a community group. And and for the next 10 weeks, we hear what we, we think together on Sunday mornings. And then we gather with a smaller group of people to think this stuff through. And some of these are concepts from gospel fluency. And I'll talk about gospel fluency in a minute. But the first thing from this book that I want us to think about this morning is this statement that he makes. Everyone is an unbeliever. You can put that up, please. There we go. Everyone is an unbeliever. And if I stopped there, before we read the rest, that might kind of knock you back a little bit, right? We've gathered together at church. Many of us are followers of Jesus. And now the author of this book, kind of me to you, is saying, everyone, you and I, are unbelievers. That should catch us a little bit. But we're not talking about initial salvation. We're not talking about your, your, even for the, there are, there are people that have, that were lost and dead in sin, in darkness and destined for condemnation, eternal condemnation. And because of Christ have been made alive and given new life and now are believers this, is, this quote is not talking about that. There are those that are followers of Jesus and not followers of Jesus. But this is still true to us that are following Jesus. Everyone is an unbeliever. Why? We have places in our lives where we don't believe God. We don't believe his word is true. You might want to jot down the second sentence because it might come in handy as you discuss this in groups. We don't believe his word is true or his work sufficient. Wow, is the gospel just this exciting or is it hot in here? Whew. Everyone's an unbeliever. As a pastor, I feel the weight, some days more than others, but there are times when I feel the weight of the needs of our large church family and feel inadequate. There are times when I feel the pressure to juggle all the many hats that a lead pastor is supposed to wear and fulfill. And, and though I put hours in, I feel like I'm spinning my wheels. And it would be those times that if I, that if I doubt myself, if I'm, I fear that this is not what I should be doing, this must be a mistake, how did, I, how did I get here, and begin to rely on my own strength, that's unbelief. Unbelief that God's grace is sufficient, that it's him working through me, that I can do what he's made me to do, not because of me, but because of his grace and his empowering spirit within me. I preach, I come up here and I preach and I teach and I encourage all of you to show God's love to people far from Jesus in your life. I come up here and I teach and I remind you that as a follower of Jesus, you need to share God's love with with those in your spheres of influence who don't yet know Jesus. And then I think about me and I think, well, I've lived in Dallas a year and a half. How many non-Christians do I really know? Hypocrite, unbelief, 
Not believing that God can do what he says he's going to do. Not believing that God is at work in me and making a difference through me. As a husband, even after 19 years of marriage and after Jesus transforming me from the inside out, I still find lots of days where the internal struggle within my marriage is very me, me, what's good for me, what would I like, me. Unbelief. It's unbelief that God uh, is working. It's unbelief that Jesus is, is a Lord and Savior who puts the needs of others ahead of his own and that as followers of Jesus, we are to put the needs of others ahead of our own. As a father, I find myself too often gruff, harsh, impatient, unbelief that God is at work and that the fruit of the Spirit includes gentleness and self-control and patience. Because that's, that's what's true. And so when I think otherwise, it's unbelief. But the gospel changes everything. Okay, so stick with me here. We got good news coming, right? Here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon that I'm going to use as a question for you. Let me ask you, how many atheists are now in this house? Perhaps not a single one of you would accept that title. And yet, if you live from Monday morning to Saturday night in the same way as you would live if there were no God, you are practical atheists. Some of you need rescue. And Faith Church exists that you would know that Jesus is rescuer. That you can't do it on your own. That you can't, by your own power, efforts, behavior, earn God's love and be saved. Faith Church exists that you will know that Jesus is rescuer. And that you will trust yourself to him. And that you will find life in him. So I pray that if you need that, that you would talk to me, that you would talk to a Christian near you so we could tell you how Jesus changes everything. Others of you are, are, are followers of Jesus. Many of you are followers of Jesus. And yet sometimes, like me, unbeliever. Having places in our lives where we don't believe God, where we don't think his word is true or the work of Jesus on the cross is sufficient to help us. On Sunday, we gather together, we lift up Jesus, we worship him, we're thankful to God for what he's doing in our lives, we study our Bibles, we lift our prayers, we enjoy the company of other followers of Jesus, and that's good. And then what? Monday, do we depend on our own strength? We go to work or school and depend on our own efforts to get by. Unbelieving that God is with us. Unbelieving that God wants to work in every area of our lives. Do we get to Tuesday and think of ourselves as a failure as a parent? Unbelieving 
that God is a heavenly father who loves and pursues and who adopts us into his family as his kids. On Wednesday, do we isolate ourselves thinking we don't really need people, thinking that friendships online are close enough? Unbelieving that God has made us for community, that he's made us to live with one another and to strengthen one another. On Thursday, do we selfishly take care of ourselves instead of serving others? Do we think about our own schedule and what would work for us and, and my preferences? And if they would just do it this way at work, then it'd be easier for me to follow along. Unbelieving that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so as followers of Jesus, we are to do the same. Or Friday, do we look for a cheap thrill, click the mouse, and fall into sin? Unbelieving that true joy is found in obeying Jesus. Or Saturday, the bills are stacking up and the bank account doesn't look so hot. And so we don't give generously to God through our, through our church family, unbelieving in God's provision and in God's generosity to us. The good news of Jesus is not just for Sunday, Faith Church. The good news of Jesus is for Monday through Saturday too. The good news of Jesus is not just for when we first became a Christian. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus is for all of life because the gospel changes everything. And mean it and let a tear fall because it's good news. The gospel's changed everything. Martin Luther King said the most dangerous type of atheism is not theoretical atheism, but practical atheism. That's the most dangerous type. And the world, even the church, even the church is filled up with people who pay lip service to God and not life service. And there is always a danger that we will make it appear externally that we believe in God when internally we don't. We say with our mouths that we believe in him, but we live our lives like he never existed. That is the ever-present danger confronting religion. That's a dangerous type of atheism. Unbelievers. But we're not stuck there because the gospel changes everything. We are unbelievers. The good news comes after we wrestle with the tough news, after the hard news, after the reality of the fact that left to ourselves, apart from God, trying ourselves, doing our own thing, that we're in a world of hurt and doomed to hell. But good news comes when we think about the fact that our only hope in our unbelief is that Jesus is rescuer. Our only hope in overcoming is the gospel, that God rescues sinners 
through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I think one of the best ways for us to have the gospel soak into our lives, for the gospel to change everything, for it to not just be a head exercise, but a heart exercise, and for it to continue to transform us today and moving forward, I think one of the best ways for the gospel to soak into our lives is by us participating in a community of people that love Jesus and want to help each other follow Jesus and want to help each, uh, help each other serve God and so that others around us know about God's great love. And so we need to be part of a community of people like that. And you are, Faith Church, here we are, Sunday mornings, gathered together. This is important. But my encouragement to you would be, we've also got to make the church smaller. We've also got to be in a group of followers of Jesus where I can really know you and you can know me. Where you can know the truth about my life and the mess about my life and I can know the truth and the mess about your life and still love you with God's love. We need to be in a smaller community of people within our church family where we can know and be known and tell the truth about our lives and be changed by Jesus because of it. And so Pastor Aaron was up here and telling you about these, these groups that are forming now and, and I'm here to remind you and you can look in your bulletin at that insert about the fact that for the next 10 weeks we are forming groups. We would love you to be a part of connecting with some others in your church family, enjoying some food. that sound Okay. Enjoying some food, connecting with others in your church family, and then just talking through what we're talking through here on Sunday mornings. That's why we're encouraging you to be part of one of these groups, is so that we can become more gospel fluent. And this is for Christians too. I need to become more gospel fluent. I believe that you need to become more gospel fluent. We need, to, we need to know the glorious truth of the good news of Jesus and what his life, death, and resurrection really accomplishes in us. Because if it's just past tense, if it's just back when you first became a follower of Jesus, if it's just uh, the gospel was something for back then, then we're missing out. God wants to continue to do work in you and change you from the inside out. And we need to become more gospel fluent than, first, I want us to become more gospel fluent for you, for me. So that I can see what Jesus has done. Because when I see what Jesus has done in my life, when I see sin patterns that were there 15 years ago and 10 years ago and 5 years ago and last week, that God is now giving me victory over, when I see the transformation that is occurring and continues to occur in me because of Jesus, that means, that helps me realize I have good news to share with people. But if you don't have good news to share, it's because I need you to become more gospel fluent so you'll believe what Jesus has done for you. So let's as a church family become more gospel fluent so that we are transformed and then as we are transformed, we will have good news to share to people who are hurting and far from Jesus. So let's help each other become fluent in the gospel right now. Let's read this aloud again together. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Father God, we need you. We are so thankful that you are a great and awesome and mighty God 
and a heavenly father who loves us. Father God, you have changed everything. You have changed everything and we know this because we know that left to our own, we are in rebellion against you. We, are, we know that apart from you, we are deserving of your wrath. But Father, you have changed everything. You didn't leave us stuck in our sin because of your great love for us. You sent Jesus. While we were stuck in our sin, you sent your son. And so we thank you for the life of Jesus, the life without sin, the life that we cannot live. We thank you for his, his death that paid the penalty of our sin. We thank you that Jesus gave himself for us to rescue us. And we thank you for his victorious resurrection from the dead that shows us that we too can have new life. We thank you, Father, that you have changed everything, that we have crossed from death to life, from darkness to light. We thank you that you have forgiven our sins and made us right with you through Jesus. Thank you for rescuing us. And so, Father, I pray this morning that anyone that needs to know you would would follow you this morning, would entrust themselves to you. And for those of us that have been following you, would you help us to recognize that the gospel has continuing implications in our life, that the gospel transforms us now and helps us to live for you moving forward. Father God, as the ushers come and as we stand in a few moments to lift our voices and as we give our gifts and as we lift our prayers, God, would you help us to devote our lives to you? Would we, as we lift our voices and as we look to you, would you help us to recognize you this morning as the only one worthy, the one who loves us? Would you help us to build our lives on your love, on the good news that Jesus rescues? We want to give to you. We want to glorify you. We want to worship you out of overflowing hearts, out of overflowing thankfulness for what you've done. God, we, we worship you out of thankfulness for the good news that changes everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.